0: In Joss's prayer that we shared together, uh, we prayed on behalf of the people in Maui. You know, it's an event this past week where the numbers give us just a little bit of a sense of the size and scope of the tragedy. We can look at the number of acres burned, the number of homes damaged or destroyed. We continue to hear updates on the number of fatalities, even this morning being informed that there have been 93 so far, and they keep saying that that number will continue to go up. This past week, as I was watching a news report, the cameras and the reporter came to a place in Maui where they were distributing supplies, food, water, uh, to families who were in need. And there was this one young Hawaiian who uh, spoke to the reporter And was holding back tears and allowing some of those tears to come forward. And the person said, the person said that um, this is amazing. Aloha knows no bounds. We're going to make it. We're going to get through this. That phrase, that sentence, aloha knows no bounds. I remember as a younger person, first hearing that aloha was a a, a greeting and a goodbye, all captured into one word. I thought at the time, how could that even be, that you'd have one word to say hello and the same word to say goodbye? As I grew and began to to learn more, I found that the word was much more than a, a salutation. In fact, this past week, I I, I looked up the definition. And this is according to the Center for Labor Education and Research coming out of the University of Hawaii. In fact, they were even quoting something that had been written into law. Here's a description given. Aloha is more than a word of greeting or a farewell or a salutation. Aloha means mutual regard and affection. And extends warmth in caring with no obligation in return. Aloha is the essence of relationships in which each person is important to every other person for a collective existence. Let me read those two statements again. Aloha means mutual regard and affection and extends warmth in caring with no obligation in return. Aloha is the essence of relationships in which each person is important to every other person for collective existence. Christianity has something similar. We've talked about it many times. It's actually our topic for today. Last week we began a sermon series that we're calling This Is Us. We're going back and taking a look at those statements that we established a number of years ago, the answers to questions like, what is our why? why? Why do we exist as a congregation? We explored that question last week. We reminded ourselves that the answer is, well, we exist to represent the love of Christ. We also laid out some habits, some things that we are already known for, three different habits. We'll be talking about the first of those this morning. Eventually, we'll also talk about what we do. You know that we say every week are in, up, and out. By the way, that is the strategy of the church, that we move forward. This is how we move forward. We move forward, we move in, uh, as we build friendships that represent the love of Christ, that extend the love of Christ to each other, and that we move up, that we trust God to be at work transforming us, that we will be transformed as we learn and live God's Word. And that we move out by serving our neighbor with genuine agape care, loving care. So the the ideas behind that strategy, these are our why, our habits, and our what. They, They undergird how we move forward. And so today we'll look at habit number one, caring community, caring community. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them. we will be in 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Hear the word of God. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother or sister in need, yet closes his heart against him, How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. May God bless the reading of his word, and may God bless us today as we come under his word together. So the first thing I want to talk about is the importance of a good foundation, When I was a little engineering student at UCLA, I had a number of classes that would reinforce the idea of the importance of a good foundation. You can have a wonderful design of a structure, of a building of some kind, or some kind of dam or uh, bridge or whatever it might be, but if you don't put down a good foundation, no matter how good the rest of your design is, you run the risk of it all coming down tumbling down into a heap. The importance of a good foundation cannot be uh, set aside. And so we have a good foundation laid out for us in the first half of verse 16. 1 John three sixteen. the first part reads, By this we know love. By this we know love. You could put a colon right after the word love. It's not saying something that he just talked about or just wrote about. It's what's coming up. By this, everybody, we could hear John write that by this, you need to pay attention. Here's how we know love. By this, we know love that he laid down his life for us. It's the overwhelmingly consistent good foundation throughout all of Scripture that God loves. God loves. It's the overwhelmingly consistent indicative of Scripture, an indicative, a statement of truth, a statement of fact. The statement of fact throughout all of Scripture is that God loves. In fact, I just went through and I captured uh, a very quick smattering of these statements. And if it helps you to to close your eyes in order to receive it, to welcome it in, feel free to do so. Maybe you've heard some of these statements before. Maybe you've heard all of them before. It could even be that this morning that God would use the the reading of these statements to remind your heart or to let your heart know for the first time about His love for you. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down His life for His friends. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. God said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given Who was given to us for i am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of god in jesus christ it is the indicative of scripture it is the good foundation for all of god's children you are loved. We are loved. Now, if, if you would, and I know it can be a vulnerable feeling, but I invite you, if you haven't already closed your eyes, go ahead and close your eyes. And in your mind's eye, just picture that place inside of you, probably different for each one of us, but that place deep down inside of you, way down deep, maybe that place where hurts reside, where insecurities live, where your greater, greatest vulnerability is felt. And even this morning, would you hear this indicative from Scripture, this good foundation you are loved. Can you hear God speak to that part of you and proclaim, I love you, dear child? Still with our eyes closed, maybe we refresh the image and and we can see the whole expanse of our life. Maybe it takes the form of many hills, just as far as the eye can see, all the hills of our lives. Can you picture people standing on the top, a person standing on the top of each of those hills proclaiming, God loves you. You are loved by God. You can open your eyes. I, I got to tell you and confess that in my picture of all those hills, I, I picture little yodlers in the appropriate dress, Lederhosen and the like. And they're just shouting out, Bob, you are loved by God. This is who you are. It's the indicative of Scripture. You are loved. This is your foundation. This is us. The importance of this good foundation for God's people should not be missed. If we attempt to go on and do all the other work of Scripture and we miss this underlying truth, we risk falling apart at any given moment. The rest of the edifice of Christianity cannot exist without God first loving. It's who God is. It's what allows us to live. It is through God's love that Christ was sent into this world. You are the loved, the beloved of God. And so our passage tells us, by this we know love. Here it is. That Christ laid down his life for us. It's our good foundation. Okay? It turns out that the indicative has an imperative. This is often quite common in Scripture. A truth is given, and then there's some kind of response to that truth. There is this statement made, and then there's this calling offered. And we find it in the second half of verse 16. It says, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. We ought to lay down our lives. We we are the loved of God. We have seen God's love in the giving of God's Son. Jesus Christ laid His life down for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Love begets love begets love. We talked about this last week. It's our reason for existing To represent the love of Christ. In John's writing, he he establishes the community in which that love should exist. He says, uh, brothers, he calls them out, brothers and sisters, that that we are the people of God together. Yes, we know. The Bible calls us to love our enemies, to love the stranger, to love the person from another uh, country. We are called to be people of love near and far. In this passage, there's a special calling among God's people that we would love one another, brothers and sisters. In this, John establishes, he talks of community. And he gives us a description, he gives us a a way of thinking about this kind of love that we would have for each other. In verse 17, it's a tangible love. It's It's a practiced love, not just a feeling. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his sister or brother in need, yet closes his heart against the person, how does God God's love abide in him? In other words, if we've received this love and we're choosing not to love others, how can we even claim that we have God's love in the first place? If we were to pull this verse apart and look at a, a couple of its uh, components, that phrase, world's goods. If anyone has material possessions, material uh, pieces of this world, it's not talking so much about the uber-wealthy, the Elon Musks among, among us, the Jeff uh, Bezos. It's not talking that we are the winners of mega-millions, $1.58 billion. Jesus says, if you have some stuff... And there's some people that don't have some stuff, and they have need, and your stuff can help them in their need. If you're not sharing, if you're closing your heart out, what's going on? That phrase, sees his brother or his sister in need. When you read through the uh, Bible, it's common knowledge that people have needs. In this world, in whatever economy we choose to uh, go by, we know that in the world's economies there will always be those who have and those who have not. And we know that this teaching is not just about possessions. There, there can be other things. There will be people who have a, a higher level of, of room and space in their life. When other people are are feeling despair, there are those who are full of hope and they can come alongside and be a presence of encouragement. And we see people in need. You know, if you can catch a quick glance of the people around you, do you know that the people around you have needs? And by the way, the people around, around you know that you have needs. We do our best to pretend on our way into church of how to behave so that, that we can give this look like, oh, I'm good. I'm good. Fine. We're all good. In truth, we have needs. We're a people with needs. If we have resources, we're called to respond. I love this phrase, and if, if the person closes his heart against the person in need, You know, the word heart is not in the Greek New Testament, and if you study this passage or other passages like this, you already know where we're going. The the phrase is is actually if a person closes their intestines. By the way, I got to say, I am so glad that as a congregation we've learned how to close our intestines. It's actually a good thing. Yes, I actually went there in my comments. At the time, it was understood that the the guts, that the the, the lower part of the abdomen was the seat of emotion, much like how we would speak of the heart. We know the heart is, is this muscle that pumps blood, but we talk about the heart in terms of the seat of emotions. And so this idea of if we close off our emotions, if we harden ourselves against other people, how can the love of God be abiding in us that last line, how does God's love abide in the person? We have love. God starts. He provides the foundation. He gives us the love, but it's a love that is meant to blossom into our love for one another. Love is to beget love. And so, we come to verse, verse 18, which just underscores the teaching, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Put it into action. Over the years of my time here at Northminster, one of the things that I have learned from you is the choice to reach out and care for others. When we establish these values and habits as a congregation we said that these are not values that we would aim for, but the way we asked the question was, what are we already known for? What, what kind of sets us apart, maybe from some other congregations or, or other institutions? And immediately, the group that was working on this, before they brought it to session, they said, we're a caring community. That was the first one to be identified. This church cares. And I have seen you do it. I have seen you. I I can't count how many times I have seen and heard about meals delivered, cards sent, calls made, ramps built, driveways shoveled. I have seen you offer care and comfort in hospital rooms, at coffee shops, around dining room tables, and in the many rooms and spaces of this facility. I have seen you show care next door, down the street, across town, beyond our nation's borders. Showing care has been part and parcel of our deacon's ministry, our fourth-day groups, youth groups, prayer chains, and so many other teams and ministries. You have exercised compassion toward friends and guests and visitors and strangers. You have provided food for the hungry, help for the hurting, compassion for the suffering, hope for the despairing. You have lent your ears, offered hope, shared love, acted kindly, sought healing, prayed grace, spoke wisdom, and proclaimed Christ. In so many ways, I have seen Northminster function as a caring community. And, not but, but and, there's still room for growth. There's still room for growth. That we haven't reached the zenith that God would have us reach. There's a little book that was put out by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, Bonhoeffer being that, that Christian leader in Germany uh, leading up to World War II who, who spoke out for Christ in, in the, uh, being the people of God, the, uh, the people who represent the kingdom of God in this world. In this little book, Life Together, there's a, a, a chapter at the end he first talks about what it is to be a Christian alone, what it is to be a Christian in community, and then he adds this, this chapter, this, and he uh, provides a description of the ministry of care, that we would be a caring community. Now, I've put a list from the book. This, you can read about each one of these ministries in the book, and I know sometimes it can be intimidating to uh, have a pastor put a list up this long at this point in the sermon. You're like going, I thought we're close to the end. Right now you're counting seven. Oh, Lordy. Someone go get me a donut. We'll go through them quickly. Bonhoeffer talks about the ministry of holding one's tongue. Being a caring community, we can begin by watching the words we say. And by the way, even as we enter this list, maybe there's just one of these seven that God will convict your own heart on. that that we may not be able to take up all seven this morning, but maybe there's one that you'll go, that's me. God, this is where you would have me grow as a caregiver, as uh, one who loves on your behalf in this community. The ministry of holding one's tongue, of not speaking the words that would bring around strife, of not saying things to our group that would then hurt their relationship with somebody else. There's the ministry of meekness, that we come into our relationships with each other not out of pride or self-righteousness or trying to secure our spot out of some kind of uber strength or, or trying to distance ourselves. We come with meekness and humility, that we humble ourselves, trusting that it is God who lifts us up. This is a ministry of care for the others around us when we choose the path of humility. There is the ministry of listening, of truly listening, of not going to think and listening, but thinking, what am I going to say next? Or, or, or saying, my word has to triumph. But that we would come and listen to one another and hear the story and hear the joys and hear the hurts and be a people together. There's the ministry of helpfulness. And by the way, I think this is one of the areas where this church, out of all of these seven, really excels. It's hearing of that need and saying, wait, I'll be there. I'll I'll show up. I've got hands and feet, and I want to be the hands and feet of Christ. And, And so we move toward where we feel like we can help. There's the ministry of bearing, of bearing with one another, of bearing one another's burdens. I love what Bonhoeffer does as he begins to explain this. He, he reminds us that we are the fellowship of the cross. We're the fellowship of the cross. We're not the fellowship of this facility. We're not the, the, the fellowship that goes under the name Northminster Presbyterian. We are the fellowship of the cross. And we are called to take up our cross daily. And follow him in that cross taking up. We bear one another. The people around you are a burden. And you are a burden to them. And we're called to take up one another. Bonhoeffer even goes to the extent where he uses this uh, simile. He goes, it's like uh, a mother with child that we carry one another as we share in fellowship, the fellowship of the cross with each other. There's the ministry of proclaiming. Do you know that I need to have the gospel proclaimed to me many times? I've read about it. I've read books about it. I've read scripture about it. I've taught it. I've studied it. There are people that I, I reach out to on a regular basis, some other pastors at some other congregations, and, and we, there's some I Zoom with uh, each month, and there's some I Zoom with on a weekly basis, and, and there are people I text with, and, and together we just keep proclaiming the gospel to each other, the love of God, the, the forgiveness in Christ, the, the good news of salvation. And we actively speak it to each other because life can be messy and hard and Proclaiming the gospel is what the kingdom people do. It's one of the ministries we offer to one another. Then finally he talks about the ministry of authority. And maybe in our culture we get a little mixed up when we hear the way he put it, the ministry of authority, because we're thinking, well, I can do that. (laughs) Yet he turns it upside down as Jesus does in his teaching of the kingdom of God. The ministry of authority is if you want to be the greatest, be the servant of all. Serve the people around you. Still room for growth. Where is God convicting you? I know where he's convicting me. (laughs) Let me end with this. We're already over time a little bit. Let me end with this. I want to give us some pictures of what this looks like. The first is the picture of Maui. We're going to see a picture played out for us. We, we're going to see how the people of Maui will actually indeed live out aloha with each other. I imagine for me personally, there will be a lot that I can learn from their picture. And yet as the people of God, who, whose foundation isn't just geography or a, a, a world's culture, but, but ours is the very revelation of God as our foundation, there are some pictures given to us Here's one from Philippians, a a letter of Paul uh, written to a church, and and he describes uh, what community, what what a caring community looks like. He says it in these words, Philippians 2, 1 through 4. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul gives another picture He provides it in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Here's how he describes community there, a caring community. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. everything, in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I don't mind belaboring this point, and maybe you're already done, but I want to give us one more picture. It comes from the early church. Luke wrote it. It describes that church after it just first began in Jerusalem, and it describes it this way in the book of Acts. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. A last picture to mention. It's the picture that this congregation gets to live out going forward. It's the picture of God working in the midst of of all of us and that God works out His story of a people loved and sharing that love with one another. This is a great spot for an amen. Can I have an amen? Let's pray. Father, we do thank You that You are a God who indeed loves that from that love you call us to be a people known for our love that we would care effectively care minister to one another in all of its scope would you continue to work in us and stretch us and grow us and guide us and empower us would you convict us wherever we need to be convicted would you would you enable us and gift us wherever we need to be enabled and gifted we thank you so much that ours Ours is a faith full of love, your love. And that because we are loved, it's from that love we can love one another. To you be the glory in Christ's name, amen.